Philip Blood, who I'm talking to today about locomotives. Hello, Biggles. <laughs> we, we've had a few we've had a few issues with the recording because I tried to record, he didn't like it, and then um, Phil was very kindly recording for me. I think it's down to the fact that I'm I am in, in, inept. Would that be it? Would that be the word? It seems to me that the technical branch of the armed forces have failed with technology whereas me noted for my prowess in technology has managed to make it work quite easily but i'm not going to make much of it i'm not going to make too much of it apart from that you know (laughs) (laughs) the technical branch has failed technicality has just gone right over my head you know I, I, yes, yeah, thanks, Phil. That's right. <laughs> so we, 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 now the, <laughs> even now I feel beholden to you. I understand that. <laughs> so just send the check in the post. I'll be fine. Oh, that's fine. That's grand. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> So we're talking today about something completely different. Well, not completely different because it, it, it's something we're both into, but this is the result of a tweet you put out earlier in the week where you shared um, a picture of a model locomotive. A bigger. I thought a very a G scale Pico. Was it Pico? Uh, it was a Marklin, oh. but converted. Hence why it was four and a half thousand euros. That, that, that. It, it was a very special one, whereas the one there were two. One was the French locomotive, and one was a German 08. I think wow. it was a uh, big passenger um, steam engine, um, but they were um, purpose-built, so they're slightly more expensive. I, I like to look at them because. I think the artwork, you know, the engineering involved is quite incredible. But I'm looking at it now and um, it's got a Marklin. And it's a uh, uh, Mark 8, a uh, 08, 4,490 euros. And its actual engine number is 081001. And it's a Four, eight, two. With bloody great big windshield things. Oh, uh, down the side, the smoke deflectors. Smoke deflectors, yeah. And it's oil fired. And I'll send you the picture if you want to put it on there. I, I think we should share this because because the the G scale that I'm used to seeing, and I think a lot of other people are used to, seeing, you know that. Just to get, so if you, if you're not into modern railways, G scale is essentially the garden railway gauge, um, often used um, in the novelty industry for the Santos trains as well. Um, so a G scale locomotive. Well, you've got a very big house in the big, flat room. Yes, 
Or you could mount it above your head. Yeah. And it just go around. Or like the was it was it the Edwardians who had them on the really big tables to take the salt and pepper down? Yeah, you could do that. Or you could just have it go to the beer and back, you know. You see, as we're discussing, the theme is developing. <laughs> <laughs> Model of railways. So our next up we <laughs> So, in, so for, because the the adjutant's you know the adjutant's lounge has got a huge staff officer's mess. This would be just ideal. Just slowly chug it round. Train going round, passing the port. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant port and beer. Everyone's a winner for those heathens that drink beer. But but this is now the reason why we're still talking about this because like like I said, we both like railways, modern railways. And, um, Phil, tell me, or tell us, or tell, tell the listener, about your your collection, which certainly had me surprised. Uh, this is Model Railways, by the way. <laughs> I had a huge collection. I don't know why it's funny, but I did. I had a lot. It started in 1963. Uh, I came downstairs on Christmas morning, and there it was in front of me. And it was, um, I think it was a very basic layout, Hornby double O layout, um, and it was Hornby double O then. And um, one of the engines was actually a metal-bodied loco. I think it was an LNER 062 tank engine, the, the kind that used to come out of Liverpool Street Station. Why I ended up with that locomotive, I have no idea, because it was never, ever the kind of steam engine you got into the, in the Manchester area when I was a little boy. Um, when we travelled on steam trains, which were obviously right the way up until 1968, you'd, you'd see a, diff, a, a specific type. <clears throat> and my favourite were the ATFs and the Black Fives. But nobody made them. Hornby made... Um, the, only, the nearest we got to ever seeing a steam engine that was actually running to Hornby at the time, on a regular basis, I don't mean the preserved engines, was Britannia. Wow. Um, because Britannia and Oliver Cromwell were like the last of those Britannia class steam engines that were still running up till 1968. Um, but you didn't see Black Fives. I think the Hornby Black Five didn't turn up until the 80s. Um, so anyway, yes, yeah, so I started uh, taking an interest in model trains as I was taking an interest in, in real trains. And where my school was, there was a freight yards. And in the early days, you would get war department steam engines coming in, pulling the coal, because everybody used coal in their houses. So there was all these marshalling yards all over the place, especially in large cities like Manchester, where you would have coal ports and the distributors would come and collect the coal and deliver them to each of the households. Um, all of my great my great and grandparents' houses were steam, um, smoke, you know, fire, fireplaces, what have you. So we would have the coal man would arrive in the morning. So 
that whole community thing of the coal, the trains, the steam trains, the fires made Manchester an incredibly smoky place. I mean, just so, just to an aside, um, <laughs> my grandmother did, the, I still remember this, my grandmother did the washing Monday and this is pulling it in because it started to rain. I suddenly realised that she was pulling it in, not because it was wet, it was because the rain was speckling um, soot on the sheets. So you get these black streaks running down the sheets and that's why the ladies would pull them in. So anyway, we've digressed a little bit. So the next big thing in the choo-choo stakes was, I think I was about nine or ten, and um, Flying Scotsman was made into a gift box by Hornby. I think it was about 1968, somewhere around that time. And they didn't actually produce a picture for their catalogue that year. They had a drawing of the engine. And um, I got a given for Christmas the first of that series, the Flying Scotsman in early in the R colours. And then a lot later, um, when I started to go to, to work overseas a lot, I would collect foreign locomotives. And um, I still remember doing a count. By 2005, I had um, several hundred steam trains. And I did have, um, funny enough, I took pictures of the British steam trains, but I never ever took pictures of the foreigners. But I had three, if I remember rightly, there were three Italians, 40-odd um, Germans. Um, the biggest was the Americans. I had more than 200 American steam locomotives. And some of them were what's called white metal. They were, um, it was like a very fine metallic. So the, the whole engine, the whole body of the locomotives were in this soft metal. Um, very durable engines. Problem was the motors didn't always work the way that they were supposed to work. They were, you were forever having to repair them. Were, were they the motors that worked on the third rail? No, no, no. They were like the, the ordinary lo locomotive motors. They were just not powerful enough to carry all that weight. For some reason, the I, I can't remember the name of the company that took the Hornby Double O. Was it Wren? I can't remember. The, there was a there was a locomotive. They were all metal bodied, oh. and oh, they. Because of the T. Was it? But anyway, I yeah. I bought a few of them. One of them was um, was the Southern Region Pacific in the, the uh, Golden Arrow. It had all these stripes down the side. It was a favourite loco. Anyway, anyway, I had ambitions of building a model engine shed where there was lots of steam engines, and uh, that that was it. And then uh, circumstances went tits up as they say <laughs> pear-shaped and uh i had to release my choo-choos i don't blame anybody in particular apart from my publisher who stole my royalties but apart from that uh, it was just a period of time when they had to go 
also I couldn't sustain all of this and I think you know when we get to talking at some point we'll talk about model soldiers that that is still the biggest and the model tanks that's still bigger than the trains were and I couldn't keep both it's just impractical you, you can't you can't have two hobbies like that which are so demanding of time and energy so reluctantly I let it go I kept the ones that my relatives had given me but the rest of them the ones that I bought on my travels um, they all went well if anyone's listening out there and would like to uh, donate a locomotive to our literally on the spot <laughs> locomotive appeal for Phil Blood wants some blood and custard uh, appeal, then please drop us a line. <laughs> uh, it, it, it is... what I did do, which would shock you. Um, I know we've had this discussion about spray guns and um, working with um, modelling with sprays and what have you. Um, I did actually start to paint several steam engines uh, and converting them. And uh, they were they were kept because oh, brilliant. I couldn't dare to get to sell half complete models. I mean, that that's pure vanity on my part. Yeah, I just could not sell these locomotives until the paintwork had finished. Um, they weren't anything special. And I've still got the transfers and they're all ready to be done. There's, uh, I did a, a Franco Crosti 9F. I got really fascinated with all that Franco Crosti valve gear. So I bought the an extension kit to convert the steam engine from the standard Hornby model to yeah. a Franco Crosti. And it took forever. And you've got all these tiny little rods in places and you all, you know, you go from super glue to metallic glues and you're pasting the various mixes together to get the right consistency to make the glue work. And you need two millimeters of dab to get onto the tube to make it work. And you've got like two inches of this stuff on a, on a mixing board. And uh, of course, you're running against time and you're trying to get this glutonous mass of two millimeters onto the end of a rod and make it stick to another rod and you had to get you had to get the glue on both sides then you had to when it was tacky get them to join and then you had to make sure that you didn't have too much surplus over the side because once this metallic glue dried it really was a bugger to get rid of so and because the little strips, you know, 170, what is it? 170 second OOHO, one seventy second rod is very, very thin. So you, you're not playing around with too much mobility and then you had to cut into the side. I still remember it. you had to blade. You had to put the blade into the side of the running plate on the side of the boiler to cut in the various parts of the apparatus of the Franco Crosti. And then there were various rods and levers going onto the pistons and clanking rods and what have you. So it was it was quite a <laughs> it was quite a model to make. And then I had a, another one which was um, twin chimney 
Jubilee class locomotive because obviously being a LMS person, I wanted more of the LMS locos. And, and so I started work on converting, I think it was Leander or Galatay, produced by a Bachman. I didn't like the kit. So I was converting it with various extensions to turn it into a double barrel like Bahamas, the preserved steam engine, which is roaming around at the moment. And then I think I had um, a German one, which was painted in uh, a class 52, which was painted in Wehrmacht colors because I wanted to do a German troop train. And as soon as I've got all these model tanks and equipment, uh, quite a load of it doesn't ever get used in wargaming. I thought I'd have a train full of, um, I don't know, weird armoured cars and captured gear roaming around behind a Class 52 steam engine. My Fleischmann roundabout I kept because I still had the plan to build a small German um, railway depot, locomotive works because I like the design of the buildings. Whether there's LMS steam engines on there, it doesn't matter to me. I like the buildings. And so I could have mixed trains running up and down on that. And it'll probably be within a small area of about six foot by five foot with just the engine shed. I'm not really into trains just roaming around all over the place, just going round and round. It's like motor racing. I'd prefer to have trains just poodling around in an engine shed, having a moment, and then I can, I don't know, put a cover over it, and put a big flat top on it and start wargaming. <laughs> Best of both worlds. Fascinating. Because there are a couple of, as you've been talking, there's a couple of things that have come to mind. Um, and the, the remark is quite, in, <clears throat> quite interesting. And I completely get this is the remark that you know, you you do the war game or model building, and you have the um the you know model railways, and then you you can't be you you almost can't be a master you, you can't be a a servant to two masters in some respects, yet there is that opportunity for a crossover. You know, we were discussing the um the, the train with you know your, your troop train. Um, just just going back to. What you were saying about making kits. I mean, did you ever make any of the airfix, the old airfix plastic um, yeah. railway kits? Because I've made a couple. I always thought they were quite. I know they were a little bit. Um, they were of their time. That's probably the best way to describe it. They were of their time. Um, and I, I made a schools kit about ten years ago, 10, 15 years ago. The schools um, locomotive, which is coincidentally my favourite locomotive. Don't know why. Oh. What what we used to do in the seventies was to make the engine shed look like it had something in it. Was to get a whole load of airfix kits, make the steam engines, and stick them in the back, and then put the real engines which were roaming around at the front. So it made it. <laughs> That's genius. So it made it look like. So I wasn't the only one doing it because we had a um, there was a group of us who did trains. Uh, for for some reason, everyone had their own specialism. Um, my friend had the, the specialism making the boards, because you know you don't just put a piece of plywood over a bit of wood and hope it's going to take the weight. Because what happens is it sags in the middle, and all the trains collect in the middle, and that's the end of that. Um, so my friend was making the boards, and he suggested 
that to get a nice aesthetic effect of steam trains and what have you, we would put uh, the front of engine sheds, multiple uses of the front end of the airfix engine sheds with lots of engines around, but at the far way, so you didn't actually engage with them, but you looked at them from a distance and they looked part of the system. And then my other friend got really carried away and he had a derelict line. So he had two abandoned steam engines, which he painted black, then made them look filthy. Then he wrote paint, white paint over them like they used to, which was, you know, save me and protect me from the cutter and what have you, you know, the, which you saw at Die Woodhams, where the steam engines were all taken at, 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 in 19, after 1968 for being cut up, but, but survived and were preserved. So he had those, but what he did was to put two of the engines at the back of the line, and he got a whole load of Airfix trucks and piled them up so you actually had what looked like a derelict line. So all of that stuff, so you had the trucks that were about to be disposed of, you had the steam engines at the end there, and because he did, he took all the rods off, they looked fairly abandoned, and that looked fairly effective. The only thing is I can't stand diesels and electric. So if you look as you step back, the rest of his layout was all these diesels and electrics, which I thought was, you know, waste of space. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's quite interesting that he would do that because he's always sort of reflecting what's going on at the time, isn't he? You know, with the industry as a whole. Um, well, if you went to some engine sheds, you saw that. Yeah. I remember at Newton Heath, there was a derelict line and you'd have all these engines all standing there. Um, I just wish I had a camera, to be honest, because we got I got taken to all these places. My, my grandmother was incredibly patient, so she'd go off to all these places. And um, as the diesels came in, you could actually see the steam engines going out. But I didn't like the diesels, A, because they stank, had this, you know, that oil thing that comes out and there's um, and steam engines just give a different, they have a different smell, they have a different um, presence. So I, I just prefer them. I, and that's the same with the model trains. I think I've got maybe two, three diesels. One's a Hymac, uh, one's a Class 40. A friend gave me, so I can't really dispose of it. And um, I thought a Western. One of those funny westerns. I actually oh, tried on a western. They were odd. Yeah, I, planes, I think they were. Yeah, that's that funny the, they had a funny front. <laughs> they didn't look front. right, did they? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I remember I used to travel on the regularly on the trains from Paddington to Worcester, Worcester Shrub Hill, and they would. Usually it was fifties, but occasionally you get one of those westerns turn up. Um, I just thought they were odd, but I ended up having one. Um, Seven Valley Railway had one for a long time, running up and down. I don't know whether they still have. Um, it's been what, nearly 20 years since I've been there. Uh, it, it, it is interesting. I mean, because, you know, talking about the aesthetics and appearance, of, of, we had a chat before we sort of started going of talking about the difference between steam locomotives and diesels 
and what you're just saying there in the back of my mind and and if you're into diesels and electrics i'm sorry to me they all look the same i can I, you know apart from the obvious like the westerns you know what they, they look and uh, the deltic was another one it was it was styled right you know brush got the styling right on the deltic um i cut the whole class of deltics <laughs> My first year out of university was a mitigated disaster. So I would sit on the end of Kings Cross Station. Um, I, I still remember it. Two things happened that year. I got rejected from 750 job applications. Wow. And at the same time, um, I, I thought it was really funny that year because um, I did all these formal applications as a university graduate. It used to be made to write like volumes. It was almost mini thesis every job application. And I actually got a job in Lloyds of London by simply turning up at a job fair, having a chat with somebody. And he said, can you put all your details on one page? And that's it. And, 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 and so a career started. So, you know, I'd fill out, I'd gone from filling out like 20 pages for the British Railways post, you know, graduate trainee scheme. And they didn't even write back to say, well, thank you very much, you know. Days, days when Thatcher had just come into power and everybody was, all the jobs were, were I, I, it's very interesting, I later discovered that none of the jobs existed. What? They had to go through the process, otherwise the human resources departments would have shrunk. So they went through the process to justify their positions. But nobody was ever being recruited. I I always thought that was fascinating. Um, but there you go. But I did manage to cop all of the class 55 Deltics from King's Cross. Right. And on one day, I got word that they were going. I think it was about um, Christmas 82, 83. And Finsbury Park would not have them for very much longer. But if I wanted to go on a certain day, which I think was either New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, I think it was New Year's Day. Yes, it was, because I remember having a dreadful hangover. And we got to I got, got, got to Finsbury Park because the trains weren't running. Nothing, you know, those days nothing ran. So I got to Finsbury Park. I think I got to Finsbury Park um, on the bus from, wow. from my parents' house. So it was it was uh, from Dalston Junction to Seven Sisters and then from Seven Sisters up to Finsbury Park. So anyway, got to the to where the uh, Finsbury Park uh, theatre was, where all the bands played, the you know, Stones and Bowie and what have you, <clears throat> and walked down the back and I could see there were Deltics on shed. And I climbed up the, the walkway and there was a couple of gate guards and I said, I just want to take some pictures of some Deltics. And the guy said, no, you're not the only one. So don't worry about it, just walk around. But I'm trying to avoid the electrics and don't go near the main line. <laughs> and, and, you know, you go past Finsbury Park where the, the diesel depot was, the motive power de depot was. And it looked quite a distance away. 
from the from the main line. But when you got there and you walked round it, it was actually incredibly close. It was a really one of those eye things. Anyway, so I took a load of pictures. Um, I can't. There was some. I think there was a class forty-five, one of those peaks on the on yep. the point. Um, but there was a couple of deltics. I think one of them was a Lycidon. Uh The one I, I think the one I like was, was Scotch Grey. Scotch. Now was that with with with, with that with lovely lease and you know its badge and all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a cool engine. Um, and then they were gone. One minute they were there, then they were gone. You went over to St Pancras. I mean, the great days were you could, I suppose it would have been better in the steam days. So I never saw it. Well, I did. I saw one day um, when my dad took me to his university from Manchester. We came down. You actually took me to Clapham Railway Exhibition because it was the first time the new museum was opening with the steam trains and there was a massive collection of trains not just going into the museum but on another exhibition road i guess it must have been stewart's lane motive power depot but um, beyond me now but anyway went there and i did actually he did actually take me around all the various stations so i actually have seen waterloo in steam marylebone in steam I uh, saw so a steam engine in Euston before the obviously the work hadn't started then. Uh, and King's Cross. We never saw Liverpool Street. We, we didn't go that way. He he was in halls. Of, I think he was in halls of residence somewhere around Bloomsbury Square. And so it was easy for him to take me into St Pancras and St Pancras. I do remember had a Jubilee and a Black Five roaming there standing. But there was mostly diesels. Um, King's Cross, I did actually see an A4. But my favourite was seeing him off from Manchester because Manchester Piccadilly, it was a choice. If it's the morning um, special, it was Stania Pacific, um, either Princess Elizabeth class or the coronations, you know, like. City of Salford, City of Birmingham, Manchester, and that. Uh, or it was a double headed, which I always thought was brilliant, which is why I've remained crazy about double headed steam trains. Um, but if that was leaving Manchester, that was a hell of a noise. And that's when the fascination became really deep with steam trains. So there we are, digressed again. No, no, because no, this is quite interesting because it, it's these formative years. Then you know that you you reflect those moments in your own modelling, um, and, and it's it's interesting to hear about the deltics because they they were just huge. Because I, I can remember <clears throat> my father taking me to watch them tear up the East Coast Main Line. He used to drive out over to um, one of the railway crossings, and we'd wait for them. Um, and the the ground used to shake as these things were hurtling past. They, you know, I think very... the thing about the Deltics that I think that's to me is one of the big disappointments with them is that they look like a box of bus on rails. When they when they're reproduced in a model, they look even worse. Um, <laughs> I, I know that's not going to make me popular, but. You know, the the model Deltics that I've seen, they just 
really ugly. Uh, I, th- I don't know. I mean, years ago. Probably. They don't, don't, don't you think they, they look kind of out of proportion because they were big engines upwards. And they, yeah, they were tall, weren't they? Yeah, when they come on a model, they look silly. I mean, you see, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, if you look at the Class 45 <clears throat> as a model, it looks like Class 45. But if you look at the, the Class 55, yeah, it, it, it's sort of tall, it's got a big, quite a big snout and then a very small window. And it's got the roof. And it doesn't, it, no, it, it probably doesn't go, it doesn't translate well to being scaled down as a model railway engine. I think it's interesting when you go to the German railways and the model railways, you know, like um, Fleischmann and Marklin and the other one, Rocco. Okay, yeah. And you, when you when you look at those, when they make models of diesels and electrics, they do seem to get the proportions and the aesthetics of the locos. They get that. They get the lines right. They look correct. I mean, if you look at a crocodile produced by Rocco, they look like the crocodiles on the lines. Well, when they were when they were working, um, and and they made a funny noise when they went past. I saw them in freight trains around Stuttgart area a long, long time ago. They made this funny humming noise. And, okay, they don't do that on the model, but you get the impression because of the sound of the electrics going round and round. Um, that they do actually sound like a crocodile. And and with that motion of the rods on the wheels and, and the movement, they look correct, they look articulated. But I think some of the British diesels and electrics don't quite make it. It's like, it's like those um, intercity electrics that used to leave from Euston, the, was it the 86s, 87s? When they when they turned into models, they don't look very good. I remember I've got a I've got an Electra, which was the two thousand the was it the twenty seven thousand or twenty seven hundred class that ran between Manchester and Sheffield on the, across the Woodhead Woodhead line. Well, I've got Electra seeing BR Green, and that looked the part. They do. <clears throat> yeah, no, sixties. Yeah. But, but they do. They they look like the locomotive. You know, the, the, like the diesels and the electrics. You would see in a book of that time, a Charles book in that time. They have that archetypical shape, and that actually translates very well to modelling, to to a to, to a scaled down representation. So do you think Hornby, when it was at its peak, was actually designing trains perfectly, and it was British Railways that buggered it up? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going over to our next caller. <laughs> Is Simon from Hornby? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, but that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because we're sort of bringing Hornby into the conversation in the 60s and the 50s and the 60s, you know, they were, you know, had they had they rested on their laurels a little bit with, with, with Double O and Triang stepped into the fray, didn't they? And they produced actually some very good models, as I recall. Those companies all were all all of a mix, though, weren't they? Triang Hornby, Hornby Double O. Yeah, they they all um, they all became 
much, you know, well, they, they all fell under the, the I swear, at one point, the Meccano uh, corporate umbrella, didn't they? Yes. For a while, for a while. and I think that, that's reflected in, in the culture. I mean, what, what is interesting now, I mean, that uh, earlier in the year, there was a, there was a nine-part, um, a, a nine-part series about Horn, Hornby as a company, and they looked at both the FX side and, and the model railway side. And there was this, this drive not for, for for excellence, not for perfection. You can never get perfection, but you'll always get excellence. <clears throat> and that's and I, I couldn't help but think back to the locomotives they did in the eighties. Um, but then I think you know, going back further still, was think, Hornby was Hornby uh, this television program? Was this on British television? It was, and I, th- and I think you can actually get it on. I think it might have been on Netflix, you know, or or Amazon. Okay. I could be wrong. I'll, I'll try and find a link and put it on here. But it, but it was quite interesting that the, the 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 professionalism that they were bringing to the scale models across the board, whether it be a, you know a locomotive or a carriage or or an aircraft, it, it, it you know it's quite phenomenal. But I can certainly remember. And I'm sure you will. You didn't sort of, especially seemed to be a thing with the smaller locomotives. They didn't always look quite right. You knew what it was. You knew it was a Perg or it was an, an O to O four O shunting engine of some description, but it didn't quite look right. Whereas trying, I think, were a little sharper. That's true. The 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 Hornby and the trying went through through a phase when um, some of the locomotives were quite dreadful. Um, they produced that um, 2NT LMS Loco 260 from based on the Seven Valley Railway model and then produced it in this yucky red colour. But the only way you could get it was in a yucky red colour, so I bought it and immediately painted it black. It was, um, but there was a period when Hornby trains weren't quite up to it and then they changed i think it's interesting here's one here's something that i i'll tell you that's interesting the when airfix made the first bolt and pull defiant i thought it was great because it was my first kit and i thought it was brilliant they've now re they've now rejigged it to its original form and i've got one in the original for in this new original form and i don't like it i prefer the <laughs> i prefer the wrong one I thought it was such an elegant looking aeroplane that they produced, Airfix produced. But there you go. So they, each to their own, really, isn't it? It, it, it is, it, it is, like I say, A, it's each to its own, but it also sort of shows how um, Hornby have developed and what they've developed. I mean, and, and because they sort of cornered the, you know, the domestic market here in the United Kingdom with, um, the double O range, you know, they've done quite well. But then when you look at people like Graham Farish, who've done the N-gauge locomotives, um, and, oh, Lima, you know, the Italians who, who did Lima, they did quite a few. Did you um, did you see the picture that I put up today, the second picture, which was a picture of the engine train sets in the same shop where the big locomotive was? I don't think I did. But if you look at the boxes, they are special boxes of Hornby trains. 
which have created these special gift sets. And they put on the cover things like the Mallard and the Black Prince. Um, or Princess, no, Princess Victoria. I don't know if you remember, Princess of Victoria and Princess Elizabeth were produced in the mid-60s and they were pretty poor models, to say the least. <laughs> they were like, all the parts were all joined up into one mould, so you, you could see the shape of the Princess locomotive, but you couldn't really touch any bits because it was all mold, injection moulded into one body mass. So what they've done to celebrate the locomotive model that they made, they put that on the cover. But if you open the box, they've got the latest princess version, which is with all the nice details and super detailed and all the rest of it. And I think that's fantastic. And it comes with something like two or three carriages. Yeah, cool, 600 euros. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> The thing, Airfix, that was something Airfix started doing, I think, in the late 90s. And they always, ooh. And I thought, wow. Ooh. And so yeah, I Airfix asked them, me. and I said, is that, is that Brexit tax? And so they said, no, they came in before. They came wow. in before the tax, so there's no customs on them. And they're sat there on the shelf, and they've been on the shelf for quite some time. I'm not surprised it's euros. <laughs> and it and it's very interesting. It's like what you were talking about before when before we started. People don't you, you have a problem with you saying you don't really like American locomotives. German people don't particularly like English locomotives. That's interesting. They like going with the we have a a series of television programs here every week actually especially during the season, the travel season, yeah. of railway trains going around preserved lines or following railway lines. And they, they do one every year visiting preserved trains in Britain. That is really popular. But you go into a shop and say, OK, uh, how popular are British model steam trains? Guy says, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they're not very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and he's trying to be polite because he knows. And he said, no, I can't understand it. You go into, there was a shop called Victor's in, um, on Euston Road in London, which specialised in continental and American trains. And I would talk in there with them and the guy would say, I can't stand British trains. And he was totally Brit. Go to an American shop like the one in San Francisco where I used to buy some brass locos. Yeah. Uh, he said, they are, what is about British trains? They are so boring. And and you, it's just the way people are, I suppose. There's the, the, You get socialised to your to your style, your cultural style. And it's very difficult, even though it's it's doing the same job, it's doing the same work. 
you, you just can't get into it. I mean, I just happen to like all the different varieties of steam trains, so I can enjoy an Italian um, steam engine as much as I can a French one. I, mean, I remember what went to Mulhouse to see the, or is it Malouse, the um, French National Railway Museum. Malouse, I think it's Malouse. Yeah, there's the SNCF uh, 484 standing there in the middle of the of the um, the main hall. Uh, it was just stunning. Um, so I, I, I quite like them. I, Italian trains, I've actually been on a preserved Italian steam train. I, I know just about every Polish steam train there was because I keep records of them all and they're my favourite trains. Um, German trains, obviously, because I like the Class 52s, which also became the TY-43s that served on the Polish trains. Um, and the great thing about the, the Class 52s is they went into Belgium. And I could actually build with model trains a whole layout of Class 52 steam engines in 27 national colours. And they'd all be different. There's a Russian version which was converted for the Russian system. <laughs> the Belgian one was green. They painted it green. It, it came into Arken. I've got a picture of it. it came into Arken, and it looked horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Have they chosen the wrong green? SNCB green, which. On their steam engine, especially that streamlined one in their new Steamworld Museum in Brussels, which is a brilliant museum, it's probably one of the best railway museums around. Um, it looks really brilliant. But when they paint foreign or German locomotives in Belgium green, it looks wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Belgium green, not a colour you want to be painting your locomotives. And actually, I mean, yeah, as a green colour goes, it's, yeah, it's green, isn't it? It's green. <laughs> it's it's, it's R green. It's not BR green. It's yeah. Belgium green. It, it, it's... Dull. It's almost toy-like green. Yeah. It's what it's what a three-year-old would paint. If you'd say, say stay to three-year-old, paint that green. That's the green that they would use. Yeah, and they don't have lines and things, so it looks. Yeah. It looks bland. It does. Very. And it sounds awful, and I do apologise, but it does. You know, I'm just looking at a quick picture now. Just why? There are yeah. a lot of questions that need answering. One of the most, one of the more fascinating locos to see in Europe, which would make a great model, is the ATF in Utrecht in Holland. Because Holland has got quite a few British locos. They've even got one of those Electra, you know, those Manchester Woodhead Sheffield Railway locomotives, one of the electrics, because they were running on the system there for till quite recently. Well, last 20 years. Yeah. And um, they also had these military steam engines, which came from the British military system. And one of the ATFs is still in War Department colours in Utrecht. Oh, okay. So whenever I'm in Utrecht, I always go for a visit because it's, uh, you know, I'm an ATF fan. And, and nothing wrong with the ATF. No. Uh, a fine locomotive, 
Though I have to be honest, do like it in that crimson finish. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> See, HF, they were always black, weren't they? They were black. Yeah, they were always black. Why do I think there was an HF that was a crimson? You're thinking of the Leander that I showed you earlier, because it yeah. was red. Yeah, and they look similar, because it's, it's a similar kind of engine boiler, tapered boiler of the Stania style. Also, that's the thing, tapered boilers on model steam engines don't always work. No, they do not, because they get the angle wrong nearly every time. Don't make I'm, I'm sorry. You could, you know, and it doesn't matter. They can never get the angle right. They overcompensate. Yeah. And on Patriots, with that big block round boiler, not mm. tapered, untapered, they actually do look like an oven on wheels. I mean, they look really ugly. I don't know why. Certain tr certain engines, whether it's steam engines or diesels or electrics, should never be turned into a model because they just don't. They don't reach. <laughs> something goes wrong in the making. It was, it was something is lost in translation, isn't it? Yeah. 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 The subtleties are lost in translation, and it's interesting because I think when you when you when you're producing a scale model, you, there, there are three ways of doing it. You do it accurately. You overcompensate because everyone, like you say, is looking for the taper. Not realising that when you scale something down, that most of that taper disappears, or you just don't bother at all, and then you end up with this sort of almost smarty tube-esque appearance of a boiler. Um, the other thing is articulated locomotives on a model scale, unless they've been really well made. Um, I had a Challenger, a Union Pacific Challenger, which was made by Rocco, and that articulation was stunning. So when it went round a bend, it did go round the bend. But there's some some model train makers. If the bend's too tight, the engine falls off because it it just won't articulate properly. And I've seen I've seen a lot of that happening. Um, railway companies trying to make articulated locomotives, and it's just not worked. <laughs> and and the other thing is, of course. When, when you've got an articulated train engine and the kids see it, they immediately like them because they look fantastic. But if they don't perform, they're the quickest model trains that get rejected. I know this because my godchildren had one and it just, I don't know, it, it just, the, 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 the interest was very high, very steep, and then suddenly gone. And it was simply because it was just so boring having to keep putting it back on the tracks. And it, and you've caught, you've got all those different wheels and you had to get it right. And if the slightest bit was off, it was wrong. Um, like I say, the, the Rocco Challenger I had was brilliant because it, it could stick to any situation. They, they, manufactured it so the wheel movements fitted the track and it's and it remained balanced even when it was pulling a, a large load but a lot of them they don't think that through so a lot of the work's gone into looking at the accuracy of the model they just haven't made the model work properly 
that again is a very interesting point. And I think if you look at that, that seems to be that seems to be a big thing with certainly with the with the end gauge lo locomotives of the early, you know the early um, well the pre Backman buyout of Graham Farish, um, Lima. Again, they 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 produce some really nice looking, handsome looking locomotives, but good gosh, you know they were bloody awful over points, you know. That's and that's always the big test, isn't it? You know, curves and points. Will it go over? Will it slide off? Yeah, especially if you've got a complicated point structure with crossovers and all the rest. That the, they only need to bounce a couple of times, and that that trigger effect runs down the runs down the train, and eventually carriages or trucks get bounced off because the the effect has gone down the the whole train a lot of people don't realize that you can have a model going round and it goes over a few points and everything goes jibbly jubbly the locomotives got through but the rest of the trains complete disaster um that's actually the engine and that's in the design some some trains work it's like the same thing happened for a while when they first started to put engines in tenders and the tender is running the engine up front. Yeah. So if the wheels were not working or just slightly off, it was pushing against massive friction and it was pulling. So it would be the judging effect, which would also have an effect down the train. So the number of times that you would have to uh, um, attend to the engines in tenders. <laughs> We never, never on. They were never on the track half the time. You were having to take the tent because remember, I, I don't know if you remember, you used to have to flip the the, the end off, the the top of the cover off, and then you'd have to get in there and do all the get the tender working, and you couldn't test the tender on its own because it had no pickup. All the pickups were through the cable, so you had to put the whole oh. end on. And you, yeah, and I remember that. There were moments when I could have, you know. Because because mini tricks, um, oh mini tricks, wow. yeah, mini tricks did that with um, their flying Scotsman, engaged flying Scotsman, where you had the pickups on on the the main driving wheels through the wires, which went you know through the connector between the between the body of the locomotive and the um, tender, with the engine in the in the, with the motor in the tender. It was an absolute pain, and it was and it was a beautiful looking locomotive, and I've got one. And it's, Lovely, but does it work? Never works. Yeah, no. it's, and, and that's a real pity because it's a lovely looking piece of kit. Yeah, it's well. And also, what I find fascinating is how anybody can sustain <clears throat> the models at the prices. The, the the kind of prices now of model trains is way out of the normal person's budget. And, and some of the prices, <laughs> I'm astounded. When uh, when I walked past the list of uh, Marklin locos in the shop after I was coming out, just standard diesels were like 400 euros each. And you're thinking, wow, 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 wow. Who's got that kind of money to burn? And my, my big fear of the model railway world is it, it's eventually going to price itself way out of the market. I guess with all this bodywork with plastics, that's going to make life difficult because it's all petrochemicals, isn't it? 
It is. I mean, and this go this goes back to this is quite an interesting point that a, a lot of the the plastic modelling manufacturers, especially in the Far East, picked up on this donkeys years ago, um, and started using recycled plastics for their for their kits. Um, Something you know, it, it it's it's I think there's a lot of hard work's gone into making sure the formulation is right, and I know it's something that. Hornby um, have said that they're looking into because again down to sustainability because once again the, you know, the petrochemical industry it's not going to be here forever uh, and it certainly can't carry on the way it's going you know, someone somewhere is going to have to really sort of put their sort of hand on the heart and say we, we can't carry on this we've got to be more environmentally sound and then that leads us to the next point the, the motive power for these um trains i mean you know like you say some of them in the uk i, I saw one recently it was over 200 pounds and it was only a little shunting engine I'm like what that's a huge amount of money <clears throat> i i can't see me ever reconstituting my model well okay here's me pleading poverty i still do have 26 model trains of one form or another and um, some quite a few of them painted black need to be finished mm. and, on a, and, and a few of the extensions need to be completed um, but would I go out now and buy myself for I don't know two 250 pounds a Princess Elizabeth locomotive from Hornby probably not um, Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, when you're paying for that, you, you are getting in. So you could sort of do the trade off would be the details are far superior than, to, you know, now as to what they were even five, ten years ago. But again, this is something that ultimately a lot of people would just put chasing around the circuit. Um, you know, you'll, you'll always get stuff on eBay, but eventually those prices will creep up because of supply and demand. Yeah, I'm just thinking that for me, it, it it's it's a lot of money for for what uh, it would just sit on the on my desk or maybe run up and down a demonstration line. Um, what I'm saying to you is, it's not the fact that it's um, it's not fine. It's not a question of being a, a a problematical model. It's a fine model. I'm just suggesting that the days of buying into uh, a model system or a train set or whatever, just to have a dabble, are gone. Committing yourself to a large amount of money, um, and also the other thing that's um, interesting with a lot of these kits is they have a lot of these models is, is that they have these the new electric systems, which okay, your computers and making the engines run independently and together on the same tracks. I mean, it's all good stuff, but I, 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 my system was all old rubbish with, you know, if you wanted the train to run, one transformer. If you want two trains to run, two transformers. You, you mm. put a bit of old cable into the track, you have a pickup point, um, and you have to spend the day before you do anything, rub, putting a, a rubber down the tracks to make sure the connections are nice and smooth. So you would have to, you know, rubber off all the that that um, black 
that would collect on top of rails that would stop connectivity. And that would take forever, you know, cleaning it all and making sure the track was right. And then the locomotives come out and then you've got to oil them and OK, it was fun. But today to do all of that, plus all the other things I want to do, I don't think I, you know, 250 quid for a, a model engine. I'm not going to do that. No, no. And I say, I think they're pricing. I, I know Hornby do do low train sets still. And they do some, you know, but but gone are the days, I think, where the, the if you wanted something, you know, that would really set the imagination on fire, you're having to invest a lot of money. And it is not always been like that. I mean, and it's, it's sad in a way, isn't it? I feel sorry for the kids because they don't, you know, there can't be that many parents around who can dip into the pockets apart from at special times, so Christmas, birthdays. But, it, you know, with all the other competing things, it's like um, I have the same issue with football kits, with um, football teams selling football kits to, you know, and you, for somebody like my football team, it wasn't just the one kit. It's the first team kit, the second team kit, the third team kit, the fourth team kit. Well, by the time that's all been spent out, for a kid we're looking at somewhere in almost a thousand pounds you know for what <laughs> so no 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 um that probably makes me a very miserable person but if i'm going to spend 250 quid on anything it's probably going to be now i'm talking about me in my dotage years it's either going to be on something like um a, a really good tamia like a 116 or 125th model or um, the Airfix Typhoon or something, or um, it's going to be on probably uh, a trip. You know, I get, I actually get a lot of fun out of just travelling on a train. I'm going to go on the one of the earliest train lines ever in Germany, which was from Cologne to Minden. Today it's probably a bit of a boring trip. Some of it on the tram, some of it on regional train. But uh, I particularly like Cologne. I particularly like Minden because Minden's a military town. And it's still got all its fortifications from from before the Great War. So I'll go around looking at forts and what have you. I will spend that 250 quid. Well, not all of it, about a third of it. Uh, on going to Minden and um, having a Schweiner Hexer halfway through and several beers on my for my way home. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be seventy euros. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Good, no, no, it, goodbye model trains. Are you going to do the real thing now? You've had enough. You, you're upgrading. You're going to do the real thing. Yeah. I, I do enjoy going to preserve railway trains and um, but it doesn't mean that I don't miss. That's why I go into the, the model railway shop. That's why I look at the big G's and the, and the O series and the and even the HOO models. And there's an extensive section in that shop. It's uh, Hunnabine. They're um, a major model railway and model kits and uh, toy shop in the centre of Arkham, right dead in the centre by the marketplace. And it's a traditional style 
old style model shop. So I'll spend an hour looking at trains and then I'll spend the other hour looking at models. And um, they're, they're good people. You can just sit there, you can have a coffee, you can talk about trains, you can talk about kits, you can talk about models. I mean, the, 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 the new, I don't know the name of the company, but these there were some new aviation kits that have turned up and they look very, very impressive. There's um, a Fockerwolf 152. So they look really good. Um, 148 scale model. So there's a bit of that, but I still have to go through the locomotives and the steam engines is why I put the picture up. So, you know, I'm, I might be a miserable bugger not spending the money. It doesn't mean that I don't like looking at them. I think, I think when you look at them and you see the variety that there is now, compared to the variety that we had when I was little. And, and here it is. I bought my first, well, my father bought my first Airfix kit from a woodwork supplier because they were in the corner in a tool shop. And that's where you got, because they sold glue, that's where the kits were. And they were the Airfix kits were in plastic bags hanging on, a, on these kind of turny things. Yes, gosh, yeah. And to get model trains, you ain't going to believe this, but we had to go into a carpenter shop to get a carpet and a train. And the first time I saw the Hornby Freightmaster set, which was with the Class 31 and the few trucks and an oval of track, was in a carpet shop. There you are. I can see the blank look on your face. Like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's how it was. And part, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a good city. I know people talk about nostalgia and stuff. Um, we always remember the good bits, but the, that's one of the reasons why. And it, you, you could go to shops like that, and they'd always surprise you. I mean, you know, model shops in the UK now are very few and far between. I mean, where I live. You know, not here in Nottinghamshire, the nearest town. At one point, we had five model shops. Yeah. There's only thirty thousand people in the town, but of those five, only two were dedicated model shops. One was a haberdashery which sold um, Tamiya racing car kits, uh, and the other, the other was a news agent. And the what was the other one did? Come on, it's gone a blank. Oh, he sold, um, you know, the old Corgi cars and stuff, the metal ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he sold those, you know, it was it was just a, so that's that's intriguing that part of me can understand why they might sell railways, but I'm still carpet, you know. Okay. <laughs> well, where where when we moved to London and I've still got some of the names. We had Puffers, which was at Kenton Railway Station in London. There was Hannets. There was- Hannets is still going. We, we had Beaties. We had two Beaties, one in Lewisham and one in Hoburn. Um, and we had uh, Hadley Models, which was near Liverpool Street Station, just on the corner of Petticoat Lane, okay. Then there was Essex models that made all the 15 millimeter and that one 300 scale kind of stuff out, out in Essex way, Essex models. I think they were railway station, I can't remember that. And 
then every year there was the model Rail, there was the model railway exhibition there was the model engineer exhibition and then there was the model soldier exhibition which turned into salute now all of that was great the last time i went around london trying to do any of that stuff um everything had gone that i could find and there was only hannah's um my best friend then who's still alive manny we would literally just wander off to Han well we'd go to hendon look at what was in the museum and then go off to hannah's and it struck me then that even hannah's the number of kits they had on display was probably not what they would have done years before uh, that's interesting and they had limited supplies of stuff so I couldn't, I mean, I can't get my head around it, but at the time, I'm talking about 2015, when I'd just come out of hospital, Manny wanted to get my head around things again. Um, we were, we went to Hannett's to, well, initially to buy glue. And I said, well, you know, what's the big deal about glue? And he said, well, shops won't sell you glue anymore. I said, okay. How do you build airfix kits if you can't have glue? And he said, well, there's a rule and you have to prove it. And I, so anyway, one of those reasons why I find Britain very confusing is, you know, country with <laughs> airfix kits, you can't buy glue. So anyway, bye bye. But what shocked me was all of the great shops, which I recalled, literally disappeared. I mean, you go into, if you went to, Beaties at High Hoban. They were just, it was like this model shop here in Arkham. Um, and there was just hundreds of kits and hundreds of trains and hundreds of models. Yeah. And that's just like vanished. But what I haven't noticed is a lack of interest in building models and building model trains and doing the stuff we do. So I just don't know, I, I guess, People relying now on Amazon, do they? I, th I think I think Amazon, in, in a lot of respects, has got a huge amount to answer for, especially in this country. In America, it's slightly different because you know the mall culture of the 1980s and 1990s destroyed the old Mar and Par shops pretty much in a, in a great many places. But I, th I think within the United Kingdom, and I think because people working longer hours. Um, they don't necessarily or have got a longer commute. They don't have the time or the inclination to finish work and go to these places. You know, they, they finish work and want to go home. Um, and so this is where, you know, Amazon have stepped in because now you don't have to go into your shop. You can literally click on your, you know, your left mouse button three or four times. You've got everything you need to make a kit. Um, so Beaches Manchester was opposite Marks and Spencer's. So you literally got off the... I think it was a 26 bus. You got off the 26 bus from Cheatham Hill, where our home was, and that was like a 30 minute ride. And then you got off the bus, walked a short way, and there was Beaches. You walk into Beaches, everybody had brown coats. <laughs> yes, can't remember that. Yeah, dust coats. They all had their brown coats. They all had a cloth. They all had a they all had a, a lock thing and you go in there 
and they didn't kind of slap you around the head, but they weren't very keen that you touched anything. But if you asked, if you asked kindly, they would get them out for you. And if you wanted to see it run, it suddenly was, yes, we can get it run. And what it was was it wasn't so much they were getting it to run for you to see. They were getting it to run because they wanted to see it. <laughs> they wanted to see it running. And, you know, that that was the great moment. And you'd be standing there with your grandma and the grandma saying, well, you can have two. Well, you know, two locomotives back in those days would have been what five quid. Um, 17 shillings for BR parcels van. I still remember that because it, it was either the BR parcels van or a, um, some model kit. I wanted to be our parcels van. It was too brilliant because all the little Hornby doors opened, you know, click, flicked open. And so you had six doors on either side that would open and that, and it was green, BR green. So I, I had to have that. And that was 17 shillings and sixpence. Um, but a steam engine, I guess, Flying Scotsman when it first came out was about two pounds, 10 shillings which is what, £2.50 today. And um, so you watch about mum and dad, and if she was going to spend a fiver, that would be it. And it's quite a lot of money, don't get me wrong. Because, um, you know, your, your spends, spends in those days was two and six. So, you know, <laughs> there's a long way to go to get to five quid. But if she was buying me a, something for Christmas or birthday, I mean, what she did buy me, which was I've still got, which I, I still just love it, even though it's kind of not quite what it should be, is the Victorian suspension bridge, which wow. is. I remember that. Cablings and everything, and you had all the steps to take the train up over, you know, the embankmenting to go up, uh, and I kept that, and I've always said that I want to run that again. Um, obviously over time they get damaged, but I'm going to build it and then I will fix it rigid so the bits don't just hang. They will, I'll glue them in, bed it all up. But I've still got all the parts of that. Um, that was 24 shillings. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's amazing, you know, as, as it, it's gone, and I'm sort of mindful we're sort of both getting close to that uh, time of the day where we need um, to stop tea. Yeah, but it's amazing what you could get for actually quite a reasonable amount of money in some respects. Some of the engineering that went behind some of the accessories was just simply mind blowing in a lot of respects. It was brilliant. The, the best bit was she'd go and buy, she'd buy something like, well, I remember how she bought the parcels van. She bought the parcels van in Lewis's in the centre of Manchester, and then she gave it to an assistant who then gift wrapped it. She, he, she then gave it to Father Christmas. I then lined up to Father Christmas and Father Christmas gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. That is actually quite a lovely thing to do, isn't it? That's a genuine. <laughs> oh, Lewis's, well, Lewis's was this big, great big department store in the centre of Manchester, opposite Piccadilly Gardens. It's gone now, I think. And um, 
they always had the best Father Christmas. There was a snooty kind of upper class um, department store called Kendall's, um, which I think was like the Debenhams of whatever. Uh, but Lewis's was always, the, the Father Christmas was a lot more jolly and he was a lot nicer. And I, I kind of got the impression he knew my grandmother because my grandmother had was quite popular in certain parts because she did an awful lot of work for handicapped children and um, and stuff. So, so they'd stand there and have a chat after I was, you know, got my model and could I open it? Yes. So, yeah. And the other, the other Hornby thing that I've still got, the model that I've still got, is the Royal Mail. Oh. And that was a lovely little model because it picked up the bag. The carriage picked up the bag and then spun it out. <laughs> I remember seeing so you have a, a, pickup a video point, of that. You have a yeah. point and it used to pick it up and then spit it out. And there was a time when they were actually, I don't know if you remember this, there were actually, there was a company that started to make water troughs. Wow. Which you put down in the middle of the tracks. Um, but that didn't work because there'd be always something that would pick it up and everything would go. Not There would be no water in it, obviously. It was just a... Yeah. The effect just a nice little detail feature there was a little detail but it that always failed there'd be always something dangling from a train that would pick something up or whatever and the whole lot would go all over the place and so that stopped <clears throat> pico i don't know if you remember pico they used to come up with some incredible track site yeah pico yeah pico was still going you got pico and they do the wills brand as well scratch building and pico are they do some lovely stuff. No, you're right. Um, I've still got their How to Run a Railway book. Oh, so, yeah, the set plan trans are good. Plans are good. Yeah, and th they actually show how to do scenery and simple things like connecting tracks. Okay, it's all old stuff. But Pico struck me that they had that common sense thing in model train building, which a lot of companies at that time forgot be very polite now i think hornby lost its way it's a bit like do you remember we had that conversation with gary how airfix went a bit crazy yeah they decided yeah they decided to do space aliens rather than space aliens and all sorts of all sorts of and again is it is it a cultural thing within that we you know of that period we with with that company I must admit, when you look at the, you know, if you look at what Pico produce now, it's still stunning stuff. You go on the website, or you look at anyone who's used their products, and you go, wow. And then you look at what I know. I know, sort of Hornby do the resin buildings, lovely as they are. Um, that you're restricted in in a lot of ways that you aren't necessarily restricted with with plastic buildings. Yeah, I mean, I I've been looking I for a time when I was thinking about building something here temporarily i was looking at the roco track i don't know if you've noticed but roco has produced this very flexible track which is embedded with either wooden sleepers or concrete sleepers into a gravelly support 
and it's all kind of foam supported, so it gives you perfect travel. And I was looking at that stuff. The, the, I mean, obviously, the, the it's very expensive, but that struck me that they were thinking that the guys like Rocco and to a certain extent Fleischmann, I think, think about how to make the trains run smoother. Whereas I think what happens with a lot of British um, British Anglo-American train systems is to make the train look really good and bugger the running around on the tracks. I think that the Germans kind of being, I suppose, very engineering orientated, spend an awful lot of time working on how the, the trains run. You notice that with Marklin, actually. I don't know if you've seen these Marklin trains, um, the train systems, they're really sophisticated. <laughs> They've got a, a it, it must be a G or an O level and it, the steam pours out of it. It's got stereophonic sound. It, 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 it just, it moves like a steam engine. It sounds like a steam engine and they've got it so it smells like a steam engine. And I, I saw one of these locomotives and it was it was just stunning. But what 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 I got straight away is they hadn't just built the steam engine and forgotten about the track. They'd actually put an awful lot of effort into making the track work. And and that struck me as something that they that they do the complete job and perhaps that's been lost on a lot of models from Britain. Mm. Well, that's it. That's food for thought there, isn't it? Well, thank you ever so much for your time today. Thank you very much for your time today, seeing as I've recorded you. <laughs> I know. You my job. And if you just, and I'll tell you what I use to uh, edit it later. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll, I'll work out what the problem was where I couldn't record you originally. So, no, thank you ever so much for doing that. Phil, it's very good. I, I might just switch you out now and then just carry on saying what a person, kind of person you are. <laughs> I, think, I think most people have realised, and if they haven't, then I've called them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but no, thank you ever so much for your time. Um, a bit of a rambly conversation about trains and model trains and real trains, wasn't it? So that's brilliant conversation, and and I really hope, listener, you've enjoyed it because uh, this is one of those conversations that we that would actually normally happen in the Adjutant's Lounge after we've had one too many drinks, but we're actually both stone cold sober. Well, I am anyway. I, I am. I'm in the middle of right. Yeah. So you know. So there you go. Um. So Phil, thank you ever so much for joining us today. Um. Listen, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, this lighthearted look on locomotives, trains, stuff, modelling, gluing. Don't buy glue where you can buy glue. <laughs> can you be left alone with sharp things in the back of a carpet shop? Um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure this conversation will carry on because there's a few more things that got me thinking. So wherever you are in the world, take care of yourselves and uh, we'll sure we'll, we'll catch up with you very soon. Cheers then. Bye. Bye. Thank you.